What's up, and welcome to another exciting edition of Bearded B-Roll. I'm Kyle. And I'm Mike, just two bearded dudes here to chat about all the movies you love, hate, don't mind, or simply never heard of. I don't know. Uh, I thought we were going to try and do the thing. 10 out of 10 would bang St. Maud or Miss Maud or Katie or whatever her name is. I think it's both, but freckles on my face. That's what I want. What do you mean? You know, you know, the freckles. You want her freckles on your face? Downstairs freckles. People get those, right? I, that, I don't think so, actually. I think freckles are, require sunlight. Welcome back to another exciting edition of Freaky Fridays with Bearded B-Roll. Today we're going to be talking about the 2019 movie that's taking streaming media by storm, St. Maud. Ta-da! So, St. Maud. Fantastic film. I loved every part of it. Had a boner the entire time. Now, did you watch a trailer going into this, or, or did... I, I have a fun time not doing that. It worked out really good for, uh, for Butt Boy when I was like halfway through it. I'm like, I think he's putting people up his butt. So I went into this blind, although I don't think it really matters with this one because there's not going to be a very exciting, hey, he's putting people in his butt moment. No, nah, but that would have been a great twist. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, let's set the scene. Uh, this movie actually has very few characters in it, right? There's, there's four-ish. Yeah, like four-ish that actually have like speaking parts. Some of the other ones are just ones that you just randomly see, but they don't really mean anything to actually like the plot. Yeah. So um, I think it opens with the freaky flashback to it's very the movie in general was kind of poorly lit, I thought. So the beginning I tried to watch like three times and I still wasn't sure what was happening there. She was like praying or something. Well, wasn't the opening scene where she was like in the corner of like some dingy ass hospital room? Yeah. Looking at her hands, her hands had blood on them. And then she looks up and sees like, I think a cockroach crawling across the ceiling. Dude, like I said, I I couldn't the I had a I tried multiple times to watch it and then kept getting like distracted and not paying attention. And she was like alone in the room. There was like a dead body on a, on a hospital bed. So I was confused about this. I'm thinking like post murder question mark, but it, it's not. And they never actually flesh it out in a super great amount of detail, but they give you enough hints that you can sort of piece together what happened. But then the movie has like the biggest title screen ever. I mean, that was pretty good, though. The intro with the music there, it was like something out of Candyman, but, you know, less dramatic. The music was very thematic. It worked really well for, I mean, there wasn't like a lot of music in this movie, but the way they they used it definitely worked to like kind of ratchet the suspense, I thought. Yeah, because I think think this movie works better without a lot of music in it anyway. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty bare as far as like filmmaking goes. I didn't see this having like a really low budget. But like it worked. Yeah, it's it didn't feel like a low budget movie though. That's the thing. Like it it But it could have been done like this, like the way the characters are used and like there's not like a lot of like um change in scenery either. Like it's all pretty much filmed in like one place for the most part. Well, three three locations, I would say. There's like Amanda's house, Maud's studio apartment, and that like sort of arcade bar area. Yeah, but like easily ninety percent of it is all filmed just in uh, Amanda's house. True. Yeah. So the movie does like a weird kind of opening, right? Cause it has the, her in the hospital room and then it flashes up with like St. Maud, like filling up your whole screen. <laughs> yeah. And this like kind of creepy trumpet orchestral music. Then the next shot is my first thought was tomato soup, which actually turned out to be right. 
but um, there was this like red bubbling kind of stuff that was meant to be creepily organic. Yeah, I just thought she was boiling blood. You know, that's pretty normal. But I was like, somebody's having soup. The soup's on. And, and then she actually was having soup. I was, trying, I was being like facetious when I said it, but it was right. Then the camera moves around. She's got like a bunch of stuff on her bed. So it's kind of unclear if she just moved there or whatever, but it's like hyper like OCD organized in this room. But I guess that was the night before she begins her new job, right? Yeah. Before she, she begins her new job as a private nurse. Hospice yeah. nurse? Something I think like hospice that. nurse would be right. Yeah. It's more hospice than just being like a private nurse because the person that she's taking care of is like on their last throes. Like stage four lymphoma, I think. Yeah. Is. They actually say it because I didn't think they said what was wrong. No, no, no. They, they say it. I think she has like sp- like spinal cancer or something. Whoa. Like a really intense form of like you can't amputate that cancer. <laughs> and then she, and this is where my brain got like super confused. Now, I've never been to Coney Island um, or Steeplechase Parks, whatever you want to call it. But she walks past this like arcade that says Coney Island. But they're in England. Yeah, so apparently that is an amusement center in Scarborough, England. I looked it up. It's a real place, but it's temporarily closed due to COVID. Nice. Yeah, I guess it's supposed to be set in like the Yorkshire area, though, for some reason I thought that. I don't remember if they said it or whatever. But um, then she goes to begin her new job as a hospice nurse at this uh, woman Amanda's house. And it's Amanda Cole is her name. And there's a lot of stuff around the house. Apparently she was a dancer slash choreographer who was pretty you know popular and and in demand in her time she looked like she was maybe in her late 30s early 40s around there and it's currently like bedridden cancer hair falling out totally terminal and then maude is there to help her which i don't know if it necessarily was a matter of like muscle atrophy uh or something like that but there was a lot of like stretching out and well, they show uh, when, when they're doing the physical and she's doing the physical she's taking her blood pressure and all that they like look at her feet and her feet are like mangled oh yeah yeah she had like a bunch of uh it was almost like like arthritis on her toes or yeah, something they were they were not okay which i don't know if that necessarily had anything to do with like her back issues or her cancer or maybe that's just from her feet being beat up from being a dancer for so many years well, it could be like a combination like she was a dancer and then that caused like arthritis and then also the cancer caused inflammation and swelling which added to because they were they were wide feet but we never see her walking in the movie she's always either in bed or in a wheelchair yeah. or sitting down just on a couch somewhere yeah, she's never she never stands up she's always sitting somewhere so they're doing like a weird sort of floor massage stretch exercise um, where Maude is helping. Well, it's, it's clearly physical therapy because it's not even just like like weird yoga stuff. Like she's also just doing like physical therapy type stretches and activities that I've had to do before. Well, yeah, but everything in this movie felt like awkward and creepy. Like it didn't, they'd never had like a clinical thing to it because the camera was always like askew or super down on the ground. Like it never, it was always portrayed as like very- um, Well, even this part- I guess intimate. The part where they're doing it, it gets like really ethereal. Like the movie, it's like dark all the time. And then for some reason, it's like really bright and washed out during this part. Did you notice that? Yeah, no, there, there was a bunch of weird light play with it. There's only a few scenes in this movie that are actually like straight up light. Yeah. But that's when Maud's necklace falls down in Amanda's face. And it's like a, what do they call it? A reliquary or something? I don't know. I just thought it was a cross here. I don't know anything about religion. Well, she had a, um, 
it's like a like a saint medallion. I didn't even know that's what that was. She was like, "What's your saint?" I was like, "That's just a cross." So Jesus. I think there were like more than multiple uh, attachments or necklaces there. Okay, yeah, I didn't. But she like tucks it back in, almost like she's like ashamed of it, and then she says like Mary Magdalene. Yeah, this is weird because for a second you think like uh, Amanda is like with it, yeah, like sympathetic or like a part of it or like like hey, cool, we have this in common, but it's definitely not that. Like a curiosity, but it also kind of had like a, I don't want to say mocking tone. But it, it did, because she mocks her about it later in the film. Like she, she taunts her a few times. Not like openly at this point. Is though. this the part, like, because there's like a weird moment, I don't know if it's now, because they she has a physical therapy thing like more than once, but is this the point where they have like a full conversation about it and like it almost like they pray together and it's like, no, no, that's not it. Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself then. Cause the scene's very similar in like the introduction part of the scene. The lighting's the same, but no, the next thing that happens is when Richard shows up, which you assume is like an old theater friend of hers or something. I thought it was her boyfriend or husband or something. Well, no, cause we find out later she's a lesbian. Yeah. But I mean like at this point, I didn't know that. So he comes in, he's got flowers and like wine and they're like about to have a date. So like, what else would you, you think is the movie setting it up for? Well, he, I mean, he was just like sleazy in general, but yeah, I mean, it definitely kind of gives that vibe, but we don't typically associate like sick people with like sexuality either. So I didn't really get the impression, which is weird later with the lesbian scene, but I wasn't really getting the impression that he was there to like bang i just thought he was like some douchebag that she used to know from back in her theater days and he was going there to like i I didn't think he was there to bang i just thought it was like a date oh yeah well he's not like sleazy he's just like he's rude to the help dismissive yeah like he 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 looks at mod and he looks down at her like oh you're you're just the servant because i mean amanda lives in like the upper class world in this yeah, they like, basically kick her out so they can hang out together, even though she... Which I didn't even understand that. I didn't think she actually said anything like, you have to leave for this. It was just like, she's having a date. I thought Maude was just going home for the day. It's like during her like trip out where she's like, I would have just stayed in my room. That you like learned that apparently. Does she live with Amanda during this? I got the impression that she did. Like she was a stay-in because... caretaker? Well, I mean, it's pretty much like the hospice is, I think, pretty much full time for the most part. Right? Yeah. Like, this woman needs constant care. She, I mean, I don't know exactly the specifics of it, but like she could probably have like a seizure at any time or something. Well, I mean, there's also the fact that like that Maud's like making her food too, like cooking for her. Because right before this is when she goes like the breakdown of like, oh, I made you like spaghetti bolognese and garlic bread. And Amanda's just like, oh, great. Um, I mean, it might be more common. I mean, I think it depends on the live-in type situation. Because if you have somebody caring for you because you can't go to the bathroom by yourself, it seems like your insurance would cover that, but your insurance probably wouldn't cover a personal chef or a maid. You know what I mean? So well, like, I, I had family maybe... that worked in hospice, and they definitely didn't stay there. They came home every night. So this is what that's why I was confused with this situation. That was also it could be a more European thing. Yeah. But I feel like I've definitely seen stuff where there have been like live-in nurses and caretakers in in different oh no i know it exists i just i don't i was just unsure of how it works because you know later she does go home i'm assuming it's very expensive but this woman seems to like cash is not an issue for her so yeah but then she goes out she goes out to um the little coney island arcade club bar thing or whatever it is and that's when she um 
interacts with this homeless guy, which was a really like, it was bizarre. Um, she's like looking through a window. I don't know if she's watching people or looking at the lights or something, but she's like looking in this window and it actually seems to kind of make her happy um, or at least intrigued. And there's a homeless guy sitting a few feet away from her on the ground. And uh, some guy in a trench coat walks by and the guy's like, hey, you got any spare change? And he's like, no, fuck you then. And then he says to her, hey, miss, do you, do you have any spare change? And she immediately starts checking her pockets, you know, a good Samaritan and all that. And she uh, gives him some coinage and she, he's like, thank you, man. Bless you. And she looks at him and she nods and says, may God bless you and never waste your pain. And he's like, huh? <laughs> and then she just walks away real fast. And he's still sitting there like, what the fuck did that mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, like they really haven't set up like her, like, um, fanaticism yet so this is just like seems like just like a, a genuine like weird but like i i guess something like a religious person might say but still may may god never waste your pain that's tells her that like she's she's saying that pain is valuable to her or it's if pain is something to be cherished right yeah i forgot that that's what she actually said because like it's like like something from hellraiser but then when she uh walks away from that she interacts with another woman who calls her and she says there's like a close-up shot of Maud's face as she's walking with her head down presumably back to the house she's walking that direction and she hears katie katie is that you and she sort of winces like she keeps her head down and starts walking like whoever's calling her name she does not want to interact with that person because we only know her as Maud yeah. until this. that's why that's why like this conversation and like the opening scene and like her life before this like i thought that there was like a criminal thing. Like whatever she did was illegal yeah. because like, why would you go and try and change your whole personality? But it all, I guess it still makes sense. Like, even if it isn't because as it turns out later, it's not really like, it's just, it seems more like it was an accident. And for whatever reason she got blacklisted for it. It's like, she did it to it in order to get this job. Like that's why the other girl is so surprised. She's like, Oh, Hey, after that, they, they still let you be a nurse. Yeah, and she was like, "Well, I'm in private care now." Yeah, and then, but then the girl got really, really nosy. Yeah, she's like, "Well, who's it with, and who are you watching, and can I have their number, and can I have your number?" And I thought it was weird that she gave Katie slash Maud her number because it didn't really seem like she wanted her to call her. I'm not wrong, right? She asked for the company's phone number too, right? I thought that's I thought she did, but I wasn't sure. I don't remember if she asked for the company's phone number, but she did specifically she did specifically say, "Oh, with who? What company? Do they know what happened?" Yeah. But so it it even if she didn't ask for the number, she asked for the name of the company because it sounded like she wanted to call them. You'd be like, "Hey, just so you know." But then Maud gets a phone call, I believe, right? Well, actually, like on that though still. Is this is this like do you think they changed like a plot line here? Like do you think there was like an underplot line where maybe she was doing something nefarious or like her, her past job was more neglectful because it seems like after this, they just kind of walk away from that. Like there's no more questions of like who you were before. She still calls her Katie every time she sees her, like she has a past, but they never really hark on, on what happened outside of like a flashback later. Well, yeah, they do the flashback later. The only thing that really connects the past to the present is that cockroach. Cause she sees it again later. Okay, I don't think I noticed that. She sees a cockroach in the very beginning after they show her, you know, curled up on the floor with like bloody hands. Um, she looks up and sees a cockroach, and then later she eats blood soup. 
no later like with that weird scene with the fireworks and like the levitation and shit she sees a cockroach again okay all right yeah i don't remember the cockroach but i know there's like a super crazy scene i was way more focused on all the other weird shit happening in it so after this whole after this whole awkward interaction with joy uh maude gets a phone call i think i feel like she got a phone call because i was like oh who called her and then she gets she gets back to the house and it's uh richard and amanda in like a full-blown argument mode she's throwing a glass at him i believe it like whizzes past Maud's head when she comes in the room and uh they're he's calling amanda a cow and then he leaves for the night and yeah but like he walks past Maud and she, he's just like oh no she's like this like it's not this is something he's ha- this has happened before in his opinion oh yeah he even he gives amanda a kiss on the head and he's like i'll talk to you tomorrow love like this is who amanda he's amanda used apparently to well, he, he also says something like she can't hold her liquor. Well, she probably shouldn't be drinking anyway, because when they show her, like, daily pill counter later, it's pretty fucking intense. Listen, when like, you're on your way out, just have fun. Like, why, 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 why suffer? Well, I'm just saying, if she's going to be taking the medications, like, I'm assuming they're pain medications, so it's like... Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's clearly not meant to, like, keep her alive. It's just, like, to help her deal with it. So, like, why not just add to, like, the pain relief? I don't know. I, I feel like at that point in your life, you, you might as well just do whatever because it's not going to bring you back. But is this the scene where she helps Amanda to bed and like bathes her? And I think they have a conversation about what death is like at this point. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, no, I think this is like the part where like, she kind of like preaches to Amanda and like, well, no, Amanda kind of wants her to preach to her. Yeah, like, like she, She's into she it. Says, she, well, cause she says like, I'm, you know, worried, like, what's it going to be like? Is it just going to be like death and then, and then nothing, you know, tell me that's not what it is. And then she kind of gives her the whole, like, no, God will be there for you speech. And then she gives this weird sort of explanation about how God is, uh, well, she talks, she talks about, she talks about praying and, um, she said, does God ever respond to you? And Maud says, well, sometimes he talks. Yeah. And that kind of sets you up for like some stuff later. Yeah, when you hear that, you're like, weird, people don't usually get a response when they pray, so. But she also does this weird, like, shiver. Yeah, the weird thing, like, whenever she's, like, like praying to the god, she gets, like, a weird, quaky, like, orgasm. Yeah, you get the impression. She says, like, God is, like, in me, and he's warm, and he's pulsing, and, like, it sounds like she's fucking God. But Amanda, like, goes with that, too. So, like, this is, like, a, this is a really weird scene. It's another one where it's, like, really bright and, like, ethereal. I think this is the first time, though, Amanda calls her my little savior or whatever. Yeah. But it's hard to tell if she. I think on the one hand, she kind of, she kind of means it. Well, I think I think between like the alcohol and like the fear of you know what's coming, I think in this scene she does kind of like embrace what Mod has to say. Yeah, but then it vacillates between like sort of a an emotional need for like something beyond death or just having some comfort to her sort of mocking her. But at the same time, it's almost like she kind of resents the fact that Maud believes so devoutly, right? Because yeah, if- she definitely tries to like shut her down, but I, that's not yet. I don't think she really hasn't. I think at this point she's like all for it. Like she doesn't really pick on her. They have like this whole moment and then I don't, I guess they fall asleep next to each other or like black out. No, 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 no. That, that's when, no. Cause then there's that scene there's that scene where Maud goes up the stairs and starts having an orgasm on her way up the stairs. You remember yeah. this? 
Yeah, like it's super. And she like falls down on her back and starts like. Right. But then she does this weird thing where she gets this like, God fucked me thing, and then she has to punish herself because like the next morning she's like, and I had to rewind it to see what the hell she was doing. She dumped out a bunch of like unpopped popcorn kernels on the floor to like kneel down on them while she prayed to like cause herself pain. Okay, I did not notice that one. I I was later, but later is like after she leaves and stuff. And I had to rewind that though because I was like. Why is she? What? And then I was like, fuck. Well, this was the first one. And it was like, obviously a more mild self-punishment, right? She yeah. wasn't cutting herself. She was just causing herself some like minor discomfort. Yeah. Um, but we see that like it kind of grows as her psychosis grows. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to see the process. How soon after is it before Amanda's friend comes in? Not yet. It's not too long though. That's when, because at the beginning of the movie, Maude is praying to God and she's saying like, you know, what's my mission? That's right. Yeah. She finds her mission. She's almost like resentful. She's like, are you going to just ignore me or what? Cause I've been waiting to find out what my purpose is. But then that's when she, when she prays on the kernels is when she has a kind of an epiphany and she prays to God and says, thank you for giving me my purpose. I know my purpose is to save her. And then the next montage is her like dumping out bottles of alcohol in the sink, trying to get rid of all Amanda's liquor. Yeah. Um, and she says like, my mission is to save a soul. This starts like the the rift between her and Amanda because like Amanda was like cool with like this one moment where like she showed like some frailty and she was like okay yeah like I'm afraid like let's let's talk about this a little bit but then Maud goes so hardcore that Amanda's like yo nah fuck this shit you mean with the Jesus yeah. when she like she's like I'm gonna save you like Amanda's like you're my savior but then like when you're skipping like way ahead bro okay I'm sorry fine let's let's go so then. After she dumps out the liquor, that's when she has like sort of a weird sexy time while she's doing dishes. You remember this? Maude is like washing dishes and starts to like, oh, I'm having a god orgasm. So she has to like put the sponge down and she rubs her like silky hand along her neck. And then like right before she finishes, that's when Carol knocks on the front okay. door. Yeah. So Carol interrupted her godgasm. It's just so weird. It is weird. It's strange. And um, then, then she gets to the door and it's Carol. And she's like, I'm here to see Amanda. She's expecting me. And like she didn't want to let her in. They don't show too, too much detail of it, but she lets Carol in. She goes in with Amanda for a little bit. And then later while Maude is working in one of the rooms, she sees Carol leave with a wad of cash. So, you know, my first thought at this point was like, did she just pay her for drugs? Is it, or is it like a prostitutional thing? Is, is, are they just doing sexy time? But they don't really like to show us like the inner workings of what they're doing at this time. No. But then after that is the scene you were talking about where they were like sitting in I guess the brightly lit living room and Maud was talking about Maud, Maud was praying before they had lunch. And that's when she says like, Maud starts having like a little Godgasm, which I'm going to coin that phrase. We're going to use Godgasm, Godgasm when we refer okay. to that from now on. So uh, Maud starts having a little Godgasm. Then Amanda says like, Oh my God, is, is he here? And she's like, yeah. And then Amanda starts falling down and having like a faux Godgasm and goes like, I feel it too. Do you remember this? So they're both like writhing on the couch. All right, so this happened now? I thought this was, like, earlier, like, after, like, the whole, like, the meltdown with, like, the dude and whatever. Okay. No, this happened now. Okay. You know what? This actually was my biggest question to this whole fucking movie that never gets explained. The next shot after that, because it's, like, a little bit of, a, like, a lesbian interaction, I guess, or an intimacy, because they, like, hold hands while they're godgasming. But the next shot is, like, later that evening, Maude is alone in her room, and... I don't know if it was candlelight or what. There was like a dim orange glow. 
and she like pulls her shirt up a little bit and she's got some really, really pronounced stretch marks on her lower abdomen. Yeah. When I first saw those, I thought she cut herself. Now I was unclear on that. I, I, I didn't rewind it. I didn't look at it that closely. So it's like, did she cut herself there or did she have a baby that we're just not aware of? Oh, that could explain something, but like it, there's no, there's no any other follow up with it. So like, that's no, why I thought not. she was cutting herself because the closest to a follow up is the fact that she does self harm as a form of like recompense or like prayer. Like, but that's like a weird place to cut yourself though. It, it is and it isn't. Because like it's covered most of the time, like that's a place that you would have covered, especially if you're someone that's like uber like religious. You know, she's not like walking around in a bikini anytime soon. I don't know. I just looked it up on the internet, and like they basically just said exactly the same thing I did. It looks like stretch marks, but who knows? Yeah, I don't know. So like I was confused too. I think I rewound that and like looked again, and I was like, I don't know if these are stretch marks or cuts. Like I couldn't tell. It it definitely looks like stretch marks more than anything, but like. As far as like the storyline goes with stuff that like information you're given, the, that was the closest conclusion I could come to was cutting. It doesn't seem totally off base for that character to have had like an illegitimate child and given it up for adoption or something or fucking drown it in a river. You know what I if mean? If anything, it's an abandoned storyline that they just didn't. But, you know, I normally get kind of irritated by abandoned plot lines, but this one I think kind of added a little bit of depth to the character because we already don't know fucking jack shit about her. And it just kind of helped add the, the creepiness of like- There's more mystery with her. Exactly. And I think it kind of worked that way. Like, cause there's a lot left unexplained here, but we don't really need it to know what happened. Yeah. What do you think? Like they, they probably didn't even need to explain what happened to her. Like they could have left it just a mystery of like what happened at that other hospital or at the hospital when she worked there. Mm-hmm. The next thing that happens is Amanda gives her the William Blake book. She wrote on the inside to Maud, my savior. And I think she drew little uh, like angel wings around savior. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It gets really weird once she starts looking at the book some more because she gets really into these pictures. She's like sitting there trying to position her hands in the same way that like the person's hands are positioned in the picture. Like she wants to mimic yeah, That was it. something that was so confusing to me because I was like, oh, okay. So she's like religious, but then it's like, why do you need to like practice praying? Like I was, I was thrown off by that. It was weird to me. It's like she's not being religious. She's like trying to be religious. She's like going, doing everything she can to reinvent herself. Yeah. 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 So, like, yeah, it, it was weird to me. Like, she was like pretending. But then Carol comes back, and two things happen in this general area. There's like a weird conversation with Amanda where uh, Maud says, You don't need anyone else when she's trying to like basically get Amanda to like completely rely on her because as caregiver, she has an identity mm -hmm. um, and she has control. Then Carol comes back, and I think this is the part where we get to see like the lesbian lovemaking. Yeah, Maud's like going around doing chores, and she kind of like peeps in on him. Yeah, and it, and she gets a little irritated on Amanda's behalf because at one point, I guess she sees Carol get up and look like she doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, or she like rolls her eyes or something. Um, and then that's when Maud has her really, really awkward like, "I don't want you to see her anymore. Leave now and never come back." kind of a thing in like the least threatening way I've ever heard in my life. She had like no leverage whatsoever. She was just like, I'm going to say it like real serious and you're going to listen to me because I'm mousy. Yeah, like, I don't know what I'm she was thinking. I'm protecting her soul and you're, you're damning her. And then this Carol's like, fuck you. Like she's like a very much more abrasive type person. Oh yeah. But then she, uh, she also calls Maud. Uh, she says either you're, you know, a bigot or you're jealous. Yeah. 
Do you remember no. this? Do you remember what Maud says to that though? No, I don't remember what she says to that. Maud says, you can have an eight inch cock for all I care. And I'd still be telling you this. I do remember that. She's like, I don't give a shit if you're a dude or a girl. You need to leave her alone. She went from like, I didn't even curse to cock, cockity, cock, cock, cock. Well, there's definitely conflicting personalities for Maud that we find out later. Or like a past that's a very different than what she's being now. Like she's being super pious now, but like, and like, even that's not explained. It's just kind of like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, religion is oftentimes like a safe haven for people that have been through traumatic experiences or have like problems with addiction and stuff. So, I mean, I think it's the same kind of thing. It's like, it's meant to be welcoming. You know, you can go to a church, you can sit down, you can participate in worship, but she does it in, in solitary form, which is even weirder. Yeah. She could try to join a convent or something, but she's like doing this whole, like, I'm going to be as pious as I possibly can. I'm on a mission from God. Yeah. Somehow the way God speaks to me is different from how he speaks to other people. It's so there's this weird- Joan of Arc complex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like this weird isolationism or something that she imposes on herself. That's when she actually gets the impression that Carol's going to like leave and never come back. She's like, my fucking plan. Works. Yeah, she's so like happy with herself. She's like, haha, I did it. Saved. So then there was a weird kind of situation that I wasn't exactly sure how to take, but um, Amanda was playing solitaire and she cheated and Maud kind of like lightly scolded her, like, it's no fun if you cheat, put it back, which was just a little weird. It's like, why do you fucking care? She's playing solitaire. Because she's trying to save her soul. So any amount of lying counts as a sin, even if it's to yourself, obviously. But then Amanda gets a phone call and she wants a cup of tea. And she looks sad, and then when she comes back with the tea, Amanda says, I just want to go to bed now. And at first, you think it's because Carol called to break up with her, but I think it was actually just because Carol called to tell her what Maud said to her, and she was pissed. Yeah. The next thing that happens is, is well, she actually, she puts her to bed, and there was this weird wallpaper. I don't know if anybody saw the wallpaper, but there was a wallpaper that was basically like a gold geometric design over green, and it very, not so vaguely, looked just like the pictures you see in biology books for like the female reproductive system. Yeah. A representation of like ovaries, fallopian tubes, that whole situation there. But like in, so I don't know what the purpose of that was supposed to be. Cause I don't think whether or not Maud was a lesbian really like added or subtracted or did anything for the plot whatsoever. Yeah. Like her having like any kind of like hidden, like sexuality doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it wouldn't affect how she behaves in any way, or at least it, it doesn't, like, I don't know. When she goes to make the tea, though, that's when Maud burns herself, right? Or maybe sometime around there. She, like, puts the back of her hand on something really hot for a second and then has it bandaged up later. Yes. Um, There's also an awkward scene where she's, like, picking presumably dead skin off of it. I'm really not sure. So I wasn't sure how she got the band-aid. I missed that part. So I, I'm, I'm going to say yeah. She, it, it, was, it was, again, her, her whole, like, you know, self-punishment, self-flagellation thing. But it's like she got more extreme with that as she went because she started out with like the popcorn kernels and that's like whatever. This one, she like just touches it for like a split second, but it was like incredibly hot. So it peeled some of her flesh off. She has a nurse. You would know not to do that. That's bad. <laughs> I don't think she was thinking about whether or not it was bad. I don't know if like maybe in her mind, like, cause you know, you don't know what's going on in her head. If this is like, her being compelled as like a test of her faith, like be like, Oh yeah, no, I can touch that because I'm protected. Well, the internet says that the purpose of self-flagellation was uh, imposed as punishment, a means of penance for disobedient uh, clergy. Um, I think she does it for two reasons. I think she does it for the completely, I'm just a psycho purpose. I want to make sure I'm alive. 
um, like cutting purpose. And I think she also does it for a religious purpose, but I think it's all wrapped in the guise of religious purpose for her. But I think she, she always hurts herself after she godgasms. Did you notice that? Like the following morning or whatever, she's like always hurting herself after she has like a hard godgasm. So it's like, and it's weird because she's attributing that pleasure to God, but then she's also causing the pain to herself because she feels guilty for it. It's not like she was touching herself. That type of that type of like thing though isn't always just punishment. Sometimes that's a form of prayer. Like there's I don't think it exists anymore, but there's like well, I think in like some country I remember reading about it a long time ago, but it's it's like just a form of prayer. Like doing the punishment brings you closer to God or something or like hurting yourself in that way. It's it's about suffering for your faith kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. Commitment to it. I think that's a lot of it. It's like the commitment. Well, I mean, it's the same thing. What there's like what is that Latin American country where on Easter people like line up and voluntarily get crucified? That's the one that I was thinking about where they still do that. Yeah. That's the one I was thinking of. Um so it's it's similar to that, but I mean that's like an organized once a year event, not like a today I'm gonna burn myself. Today I'm gonna put tacks in my shoes, today I'm gonna lean on some popcorn kernels, today I'm gonna, you know, snip off pieces of my clitoris. I don't think that one came up, but you get what I'm going. That definitely did not happen, did it? <laughs> So the next thing that happens is Amanda has a giant fucking party. Yeah. Which seemed weird because I want to go to bed. I'm going to go to sleep. I think she was actually just resting up because she was planning on having a party. It could have been that, but it could have also been like maybe like in situations when people are dying, like sometimes the idea of like a a social gathering isn't out of the norm. And since she was in like this upper class, like elitist type social circle, I actually thought that that made sense. For her character. No, I guess it, 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 it did. But I think she did the party as a direct response to Maud trying to interfere yeah, with her like life. Yeah, it's like a big fuck you. Well, yeah, basically, because she was trying to like dump out her alcohol. I'm sure she knows her alcohol was gone. She knew that she told Carol to like leave and never come back. Carol shows well, up like at the fucking party. like a great moment with Amanda like talking to her friends. Amanda's just like, yeah, so she told you know Carol to like leave me alone and never come back. And I don't think it was some kind of homophobia, but... She looks at Maud like she knew that Maud was listening the whole time. Like she did this on purpose because she knew Maud was eavesdropping. Like this conversation only happened, I think, because of that. Oh no, it was totally mean spirited. It was it was a big fuck you. I think the whole party was orchestrated yeah. just to say fuck you to Maud. And then after she does the whole like talking about her with her right there, like she's not a person. Amanda says to her, "Am I indecent?" And Maud yeah. says, "No, you're lost." And then it gets even worse because that's when all the people in the party start like wrapping a pillowcase around Maud's head and shit to like try to make her look like Mother Mary. Do you remember this? They were all like manhandling her and like trying to like mock her saintness no, by dressing her that. up that way. Yeah, one of them, like some guy comes over and puts this like sheet slash curtain thing over her head. Somebody else has like a little gold, like maybe the like, there was like tie a question back. that we had that this was set up to be just against Maud. That is definitely that's a pre planned thing. So. Yeah, like yeah. who just has that shit in their pocket? That's when I think Amanda starts mocking her her godgasms and she says like warm, hard, pulsing. Yeah, smash it real good. Like she slapped the fuck out of Amanda and Amanda fucking deserved it. And then a smirk though. Like she's like, haha, I got you to do some shit that was fucked up. Basically, so she gets fired after that because the next shot is her like in presumably the office of whatever her employer is. And the woman's like repeatedly clicking the end of this yeah, fucking page. Like, You're like, she impressed charges, which I'm actually surprised she got fired. I was, that threw me off. Like, I'm like, okay, she smacked her. That's not good. But like, it seemed like the Amanda chick liked her and she also liked treating her badly. So I was like, I, I, I didn't think that she would have gotten rid of her even for that. 
my my main takeaway from that, and I, I said it before and I'll say it again, I think Amanda really? was jealous of her. You got to admit, when somebody like believes in God, you know that they're not afraid to die. Like when they truly believe they're going to go to heaven. Like I, they say it, but I've never met anybody that like in the end was actually just like, oh, no, I'm not afraid. Maud is the definition of like devout. And I think a, a lot of that has to do with her just being like monomaniacal because she's kind of fucking nuts and she's like obsessing over God. But um, I think at the same time, like Amanda being on the brink of death herself did resent her for her certainty, you know, and she wanted to like shake her foundation. She wanted to make her as unhappy as she yeah. was. Then this is, this is, this is when Maud goes on sort of a, like a binge of like debauchery. She's like praying and then somehow the Jesus falls off of her, the Jesus crucifix or statue, whatever you want to call it. It's like wrapped in a blue blanket, falls off of her dresser while she's praying on the other side of the room. And I don't know if she took that as like her faith abandoning her or whatever, because then she goes out and she goes to the bar and she eyeballs this guy. And then she gives this guy a really awkward hand job with her bandaged hand that like she burnt. And he says like, not yet, not yet. And then he finishes and she gets like bored and walks away. It's so, that was so weird because like one, why would he apologize? Why would he need to wait? Like she's not getting out of anything out of this. That was not the most awkward part of that bar excursion. The most awkward part of that is when she sits back down at the bar and there's like a group of like four friends sitting a little bit farther down the bar and they're having a good well, she's time. Barely close to them. Like she's able to like, they're at a table next to her table. Yeah. But she tries to like horn in on this conversation. You know, she starts smiling at them, laughing at their jokes and they're looking at her like, do you, do we know you? I don't think we know you. And then she just gets, it was like the most awkward part of the whole thing. She does not understand social interaction at all. And it's just like super obvious here. Makes you wonder how she survived this long. And they never make a single mention of like any parents or relatives or anything for her, which actually that could kind of feed into the whole, if she had a baby and, and they don't reference any background thing. outside of that one girl that she used to work with. You have no idea who Maud is. Yeah, outside. really? Like, until like a few minutes after this, like in this scene, you find out a little bit of something about her, but even still it's, it's not any, well, because after this, she, the, yeah, the, another oh, dude the walks up, which I thought was weird. Like she's like, she pulls like an attractive dude and then gives him a weird hand job. And then this weird fat dude walks up and she's like, yep, let's go fuck. Yeah. Like <laughs> going back. To, yeah, it was, uh, it was strange. She's railing the fuck out of this dude, like super good. Like, like this is her favorite thing in the world. She's never not done this. And she starts having this flashback of doing CPR while doing it with this guy. And then it ends with her shoving her hands like through his chest, which was, I was like, whoa. And you hear like the bones crack and then the blood. And then he's like, what is wrong? (laughs) Like he's actually fine. And it's, it's a really disjointed and insane like moment. Then he also, can we also point out the fact that she has this uh, vision and then he basically rapes her. Can we point that out? Yeah. Right. Like I, he's like, are you okay? And then he just starts going at it again. And she's like, not. Yeah, no, it's still, it's still rape. Once someone says no, it's rape. I, I almost forgot about that part until you like said it. And I was like, oh shit, that's right. He like fucking, cause I was like uncomfortable watching that part. And like, it was like, only, like a few seconds. That jump scare though, when she like punctures his, no, not punctures, but when she, when she breaks his rib cage, that actually like got me though. That was, I was like, damn, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Like I was like, okay. So she had like, cause I don't know. It was so disjointed. Like the flashbacks between her doing CPR and an old lady 
where you see some more boobies, and then I don't know if you noticed that, but I did. I, I missed that. I, I noticed the dick mostly. Boobie. There's booby there, but yeah, it's like flashing back and forth, and then it's like you hear the crack, and you see like it go through the old lady, but then like she puts her hands in him. It's not like oh, I cracked his ribs. Like she completely like caves the chest cavity. It was a lot. It was good. It was good, but the only thing was I predicted right away that it wasn't what it wanted you to think it was and that it was more of what it ended up being. And I think for the most part, it was exactly what I expected it to be like from the outset and it stayed true to that. Um, yeah, but again, I, I, watched the, with that. I watched the trailer and you didn't, so maybe. I didn't, <laughs> so I don't know what it was offset to be. But like at the beginning, it's like it really pushes like this idea that maybe maybe there's something supernatural about it, but it keeps it keeps it sane and ground it so yeah so after he like rapes her that's when he's like oh hey i recognize you You used to be in the bars all the time and you fucked my friend and then my friend tom had a had a go with you or something whatever whatever british way he said it and it's like okay so she had a life outside before where she was like a little bit more wild and like a person Actually, during the midst of her like bar apocalypse, uh, I'm freaking out, binging hand jobs and fat guys thing. <laughs> that's when hand she jobs and fat guys. That's the name of this episode. That's a great name for a band, really. You want to start a band? <laughs> hand jobs and fat guys. Are you hand jobs and I'll be fat guys? Because yeah, we would just both be both. But yeah, that works too. Then she calls she calls Joy at one point. This is during this whole thing, and, and Joy seems busy or like she's on her way to work or something. And she's like, "Oh, you're right. I'm silly. I'm stupid for having called you. I got to go." Because that's what she's like tweaking. I don't out. think she even answered. No, no. She maybe maybe she just left the world's like most uncomfortable message, but she definitely spoke when she called. No, I mean like no, like I didn't think. I think it was a message. Like I I I know that she spoke, but I didn't think Joy like talked to her yet. Because later she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't answer. I was busy." That's when she has her like moment of absolute despair or whatever. And this is like the classic Christ story in some sense. It's like the character getting like beaten down to their lowest point before they like ascend. And that's how she views herself. Because, you know, if you read a lot of like the stories in the Bible or whatever, suffering is like the rite of passage that a lot of these characters have to go through in order to like reach, you know, a higher level of consciousness or whatever. And I think she's like attributing all of her suffering to that, even though a lot of it not even the physical one, just the mental stuff too. It's like pretty much all self-inflicted. I honestly, the, her fall or mental, the makeup during this and like the way that they like keep her looking like it was, I liked it. I appreciated how good that was. Like, cause she gets more, di- not disheveled. Cause she's like a super clean person, but in her face, I guess it's the acting more than anything else. The acting and the makeup. It's she's it's, like more distressed. Like as it goes yeah, on, like the bags under her eyes, like it, it really looked like someone that was like for any lack of anything, like she looked like she was like falling into like a drug binge more than anything else. But like, it really like portrayed her, like her fall into madness really well. I liked, I liked that. Oh no, it was, it was really really appreciated. Like the makeup and and Mm -hmm. the way they like portrayed her, her mental health decline. And like, it kept getting like worse. Like the, the darkness under her eyes kept getting like darker and, and wider. And it was good. But this is the part. Um, is this when she floats? This is when she floats. This is the part. It's despair, fireworks, convulsions, and levitation. So yeah. that's when she actually like lifts up off the floor and has her sort of like satanic possession moment. But I guess it's God lifting her up. 
But that's when she looks up to the ceiling and sees a cockroach, which is like a hearkening back to that first scene in the hospital. I don't know what the meaning of the cockroach was. Maybe it was she like nothing but a little cockroach. That's what it uh, is. It could be like her having an epiphany, like her the first time. I shouldn't be a nurse at a hospital. <laughs> you know, I should do hospice. I'd be much better at that. Yeah, absolutely. This isn't God's plan for me. Actually, that might be what it is to some extent. Like that's God's plan for me because um, right after that is when she um, does the fucking pin shoes, the tack shoes. Where she, she takes like fucked me up little hate... pieces of cardboard and she's stuck in like what like a good 15 20 thumbtacks oh, pack yeah and then she puts them in her little converses and then she just like stands up and you're like ah and then she does this whole like weird it was like those videos where the girls like walk around the mall with cum on their face but it was like pins in her shoes yeah she's just smiling at everybody but looking like she's on crack but she has like her secret of like i know that i'm suffering like just eternal agony right now but you people don't know that and it's like well we can kind of see it in your face through her shoes like i had this is the part i had to rewind because at first i didn't see her you know plant them i was like looking down and i'm like why is there blood coming out her shoes and why is she limping like what happened and like i had to watch it a couple times and i don't know why i did that to myself because like thumbtack shit freaks me out like splinters in movies yeah, it's like that classic, like any movie where somebody steps on a nail or something, like going up yeah. a staircase, whether it's home, uh, home alone or like a quiet place. Well, it, it, that's just, it's genuinely just one of my, my weird phobias. Like I'm not afraid of a lot of things, but like, I don't let thumbtacks in my house because I don't like stepping on them. And I always end up stepping on them when they're around. So that's when she, she has like a newfound mission. She says, my mission is to save Amanda. Well, she's already, well, she also goes through the book again, like sees the whole you're my savior stuff yeah and she says like i should have expected resistance like she's like mad at herself for giving up at that point <laughs> i think at one point when she she starts cutting up the william blake book so she can make her weird like godgasm i'm gonna fuck everybody and then i'm gonna save them kind of collage she says never waste your pain while she's cutting the pictures out of the book more like references to like hellraiser <laughs> I would actually like to just sit down with the character Maud and watch Hellraiser and see what her opinion is. She'd be like, yes. As long as there's like a good bulletproof glass partition between us. Like, she's like, pinhead man gets me. Then she does this weird thing where she stalks another nurse named Esther, which may or may not be Amanda's new nurse. Do you remember this? I think, I think it is Amanda's new nurse because I think they show her leaving when the final act starts, like Amanda's house. I think okay, that's what that it's supposed to be. Sense. It is dark and it's shadowy, but like I think the general shape of her was uh, was about right for that. And then she has this weird conversation with her, where Esther actually seems like a pretty nice woman. She's like talking about how it's like a little sad when you take care of somebody and then they die, but it's your job to just make them as comfortable as they can be. And and she almost seems disappointed in Esther because Esther didn't say you have to save them and deliver them to Christ. Um, I it was the impression I got. Well, I actually, I think that's what, I think that's when I realized like, she's like definitely Amanda's because like when they're having the conversation, she's like, oh yeah, I have this one. They're going to die. That's the worst part. Blah, blah, blah. But like, that's when like Maude's just like, all right, well, fuck this conversation. I got everything I needed out of you because they're like real friendly. Like they become friends to a degree for the most, as this is probably like the most personality that Maude showed in, in the movie as far as being able to be a person. But then, yeah, she just like dips. She's just like, all right, cool. I got everything I needed. You said that you're her person. I'm going to follow you now. So I thought there was going to be more with that. There's a lot of moments in this movie where you're like, okay, this, there's going to be more to this. I think other movies have kind of tainted us to expect a character to be totally homicidal because you expect her to kill Esther. You expect her to kill the fat guy. You kind of expect her to kill the handjob guy. 
And like, she doesn't actually hurt any of these people. She's like, she's pretty focused on mission. But the next part. I didn't even think that she would hurt Esther. I just thought maybe she would like do something like, I don't know, like sabotage her so that she could get into Amanda. Well, yeah, but this was a short movie. It was like an hour and 20 minutes. I was so surprised at how short it was. That, and it, it didn't feel short, but I was like, huh, that's, that was, that was quick, but it worked. It's good. It does what it needs to do. It was pretty, it was pretty bare bones. Like Henry, Henry portrait of a serial killer is also like an hour and 20 minutes, but it's a whole lot of movie for an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. They put a lot in this, in this short time for this one. But the next part is the part you were waiting for, where we find out that God speaks Welsh. And in a demonic, like robot voice. It was like mega orc was talking to her because she's at home later that night and she's having this conversation with God. He's speaking in Welsh. She's responding in English. And the only part I remember from that conversation is when God says, you're almost ready for the great embrace. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound good. (laughs) And that's when she says something about like the last, is this my last test or something? I was just thinking like, while she's talking to this, if this is the voice she's hearing, then she should probably realize that that is not God. That is not a godly voice to me. Yeah, no, it's definitely like a satanic voice if we're going off of like common tropes and things. Yeah. But then, then the next morning is her like getting, sorry, not the next morning, but she's getting ready to do her mission or something. She, she's got like nun robes, but like, did she make them out of a sheet? It's the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, she's wearing like this weird shroud of Turin type deal. And it's made out of like a pink bed sheet. Cause all I saw was she took the sheets off the bed and then she had like a weird nun robe. Then Joy shows up and Joy has this really like, she wants to come in. Maude doesn't want to let her in. She sort of like knows, noses her way in. This was another time where I was like, wow, this person's going to get fucking murdered. Yeah, she I doesn't kill her. She doesn't even try to hurt her. It was weird. But also, she's like super weird. Like I, she doesn't say anything to her at all, which is one of the things that leads you to think that she's gonna kill her. She's like in a tank top and like panties for the whole thing. But the lady's like, "Oh, your house is so clean," and it's like she's just talking. She's just in her underwear. Like I don't think I would if I saw somebody that wasn't like ready to go out. I don't think I'd be like, "Oh yeah, let me come in and like just hang out and have a cigarette and." The weird thing is she like wanted to be there. Like Maud didn't say a word to her for like 10 minutes and she like insisted on standing there. And then finally Maud opens the door and she's like, okay, I'll see you later. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, I should get going anyway. It's like, oh yeah, your conversation was so good. You couldn't imagine it was going to fucking end. You're asking all these conversations. She's just staring at you. Like, why are you in my house? Like, and did you notice that Maud had a lot of like weird chemicals around the room? They did some close-ups on like bottles of hydrogen peroxide and like acetone and no explanation which i thought was leading up to what you thought she was like and i thought that stuff was going to come into play later but it's another thing that just just doesn't get explained i was like oh so she's gonna like pour acid and like murder somebody with that or like someone's gonna drink this poison concoction that she makes but then joy leaves uh it works its way toward nighttime and this is where first of all the moon was fucking huge do you remember this the moon was like the it was like all moon and um, the clouds start doing weird spiral things, which was kind of a theme in the latter part of this movie. Because even when she's at the bar earlier doing her little, I'm going to like hand job, fuck fat guy thing. There was a, a beer in front of her because there's a part in that scene where like everything I remember in the, the bar. beer doing like a weird swirl. I thought that something. Yeah, there was a weird like. Happened there other than that, but it didn't. Yeah, it was like, a, well, it was like a downward spiral, but then, which I guess was representative of her downward spiral. I don't know. And then she starts freaking out because everything in the bar is now terrifying to her you know but she looks at the clouds and they're almost open like 
eye of the hurricane kind of like, or eye of the tornado, eye of the storm type situation. Mm-hmm. And that comes back a couple times, but then she goes to Amanda's house. Yes. And Amanda is either alone or her hospice nurse is asleep. Her hospice nurse up. is just leaving. Oh, right, right. Her, right. So her she, hospice she nurse. She sees her leave. And then she goes into Amanda's room and Amanda sort of is very like weak at this point. You can tell she has been- She's at the end. Yeah, she's been degrading since since uh, Maude left. But what's weird is she has hair again, kind of, but like fuzzy hair. She was never like totally bald before. And it would make sense if she stopped doing chemo. Yeah. Because that's what makes the hair fall out, really. Yeah. But um, she starts to have this conversation with her, right? Like, I'm here to- I'm here to save you. Were you surprised she didn't freak out when Amanda was in the house? I think she was expecting her to return at some point. It's just weird because like, if somebody just like snuck in while I was sleeping, I don't think I'd be cool even if it was like somebody I knew. Well, she was probably on a lot of pain medications, a lot of pain medications and already like pretty out of it. So I don't think it was super a surprise to her. Okay. But I mean, also, I don't think she ever really hated Maude. I think she resented her, but I don't think she hated her. So like on some level, she was probably glad to see her again a little well, bit. She, she does. She apologizes and smiles at first. But then she tries to get godly with her and, and Amanda says to her, don't you realize like nothing you do matters? Well, she also says, you actually believe this stuff? Like She's like a surprise that Maude's like serious. Yeah, she like totally shits on everything Maude like claims to believe in, even though she's not really like, anyway. But then that's this is a really interesting thing. I love the way this this was done because when when Amanda shits on Maud's religiosity or whatever you want to call it, Maud's like she can't process that information. So her psychosis turns into this like demonic possession hallucination. And Amanda's mouth gets like super big because Maud can't believe that this woman wouldn't be like this resistant to her good nature. Like she must be in league with the devil. The devil must be controlling her and doing this. So um you know, Amanda like sits up in the bed and does this weird kind of like reptile crawl toward her. And it's obviously not like really her happening. Face gets real huge. Yeah. And like it was, it was weird. She had like a weird scaly quality to it. It was, it was, it was, it was really cool the way it was done. But then Amanda, well, sorry, Maude grabs some scissors and before that, before like when she first realizes she's turning, like remember the chemicals in, in that scene when she's in her house, right before she leaves, she takes a bottle of water and she has it in a sink and uh, she's like praying over it like she's making holy water, which I kept thinking was actually chemicals because they kept also in that same time going back and showing you that she had acetone and stuff. And I'm like, okay, so she's filling a bottle and she's going to pretend it's holy water, but it's going to be poison and she's going to go kill somebody with this. But then she flicks it onto him. Well, the first time she flicks on Amanda, Amanda, you hear like a sizzle and she does react to it the first time, but then she does it again and she doesn't. I'm like, oh, so it's just water. Like when it first sizzled, I'm like, oh, see, I'm right. It is like acid or something. Well, and it wouldn't have been like holy water in the traditional sense anyway, because it hadn't been blessed by like a member of clergy because she's well, not. She, she doesn't seem to clearly be a part well, of like, <laughs> a super organized church or, you know, mental facilities of someone that's normal. Fair enough. But after demonically possessed, I'm putting that in air quotes, Amanda rises up. That's when Maude grabs the scissors and stabs the fuck out of her neck, like repeatedly. And now Amanda has now, she's like human again. Oh, I I saved her. So she leaves Amanda's house covered in blood and like smiling because she thinks she did something super pious. She says something about how she saved her, doesn't she? I don't think she says anything at this point. It's this weird slow-mo shot of her like smiling in the moonlight with like blood all over her face. It was actually really creepy. Yeah. But the next shot after that 
is pretty much the end of the movie, right? Because she, she is in her apartment with these like big orange lit up angel wings behind her because she's done the Lord's work. Like she's no, the super, angel wings don't happen yet, do they? The angel wings happen while she's in her apartment getting ready to leave for the day. Okay. Um, because she's proud of herself for what she did. And then she has like a bottle of something, paint thinner. I don't know. It's like clear, like industrial liquid. Yeah, no, it's definitely. It's not gasoline because you can't put gasoline in a bottle like that. It would eat it away. But it had to be something that was like easily obtainable since she doesn't have like a particular, like a special have a license. Bunch of acetone, or so I guess maybe it could be that because that paint thinner's flammable, right? So she walks down to the beach and people are giving her weird looks because she's like wrapped in a pink sheet still. Which I don't know if she turned it inside out or made another one, but it was not covered in blood at this point. So she must have made yeah, a different she one. She cleaned it. Anyway, she cleaned it and dried it. Whatever. So she goes down to the beach and stops what she's doing, opens the bottle, and like just there, you know, it's like a overcast kind of day. She sees the spiral up in the clouds again before she does this. And there are people standing around, people, you know, like couples going for walks on the beach, stuff like that. And she pours this stuff over her head. And um you hear people in the background kind of muffle yelling, stop her, stop her. Oh my God. They they can tell something's happening. Yeah. It's like, it's not performance art. It's like this person doing something really fucking weird. And not that performance art isn't weird, but um, (laughs) she finally starts the lighter. And this is when it gets really funky. So she goes up in flames and she's all smiling and content with herself. And this is where I saw the angel wings because the angel wings light up behind her and she's got glowing and she's like smiling and she's super, you know, I'm I'm going to heaven. I did everything right. And then right before it cuts out and completely satisfies no, me. You're skipping the whole part I was even going to talk about. Then what is the part you're trying to talk about? No, she goes up. She lights herself on fire. And that's when her like wings come out of the back. There's like light radiating from her. It's a very like classic religious iconography kind of picture that you might see in a stained glass window or something. And all the people that were standing around concerned for her drop to their knees in genuflection. Oh, like they're, like they're okay. worship. Like they all in unison drop at the same time like she sees them worshiping her i mean chances are they were probably like passing out and throwing up but that's what she or this is to me everything was all in her head so i don't even think that was it i was still convinced this was just a hallucination she was having in her last moments that could be very possibly but i just i I like really appreciated the way that was filmed because it was it was cool and it kind of i mean we just get more and more of her like psychotic they kept hinting at like what I thought they were going to do and they did it. And I appreciate it, which was that it was going to end up being, she really had some supernatural thing happening. I wrote best ending ever in my it notes was really for this good. because she is smiling. She's burning. She's a beautiful pyre of light for heaven. And then the very last like millisecond, right before the, the final St. Maud title card comes up is her like just covered in like, black burning flesh and like screaming really loudly and it was then it was then it was over i was completely satisfied with that then i was, I was like, cool. too i was, it was he's crazy it was great and it, it didn't it wasn't even like a super gratuitous shot or anything but it told no, you it was, everything it you needed second. to know it wasn't even a second it was like a like a quarter of a second but it was it was enough and it was super good now would you have been as disappointed as i would have been if it did end up being oh no it really was supernatural stuff um actually yeah for some reason the idea of it being mental health made it so much scarier to me well i mean that's like the only thing i didn't like about the movie frailty if you remember that one from 2006 with like matthew yeah. mcconaughey and twist Bill it. Paxton. It's like, oh, nope it's real yeah that was like the dumbest twist ending i mean that movie had a lot of like unnecessary twists in it 
And then at the end, they're like, yeah, he actually could sense evil in people from God. He's not just a crazy axe murderer. And it's like, okay, yeah, sure. I tried to watch that movie again a couple months ago and like, it doesn't, I don't know. I couldn't finish it. It's like, okay, but it gets like even dumber the second time you watch it because you know what you're in for. Well, anyway, let's get back to this one. So overall, I thought St. Maud was actually, re- I only heard about it the other day because I saw that it was streaming on Prime and I thought, you know what, let's check it out. Super satisfied. It didn't need a super high budget. It didn't need a lot of special effects. It didn't need a lot of famous people. Didn't really even need any nudity or any cursing. Um, it had a little bit of maybe each of those things, but none of it like added or subtracted from the plot. Overall, well, even the nudity that I said was in it, you didn't see. So like, it's discreet. It's not, it's not. Oh yeah. Way. There's nothing like gratuitous about it really, except like her personality. Um, so overall, I thought it was really, really solid storytelling and um, it managed to be pretty, pretty creepy. I mean, it works as like a psychological thriller, a drama and a horror movie. So I was satisfied and I'm going to say, you know, three and a half beards and I'd, I'd highly recommend it. I agree with that. All right, thank you for joining us on another episode of Bearded B-Roll. This was Freaky Fridays. Talking about St. Maud from 2019. Check it out. So follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bearded B-Roll and look for us anywhere you find podcasts. Check out our website, beardedbroll.com, for info and links to merch. And remember to email us with ideas and suggestions at beardedbroll at gmail.com. Goodbye. Really? (laughs) 